Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Welcome again to our viewers here in the United States and around the world. Significant breaking news on this Thursday morning. The planned summit in just a few weeks between Kim Jong-un and President Trump is now off. Based on the recent statement of North Korea, I have decided to terminate the planned summit in Singapore on June 12th. Trump wrote, you talk about nuclear capabilities, but ours are so massive and powerful that I pray to God they will never have to be used. And then goes right into... I felt a wonderful dialogue was building up between you and me. And see, that's Trump diplomacy in a nutshell. I look forward to our friendship, but if not, I will kill you. Welcome to Tell Me It's Gonna Be Okay, the podcast about the president who's been described as a cryogenically frozen bog man. If you're a new listener, I'm Mia Friedman. I co-founded the Mamma Mia Media Company, and on the day Donald Trump was elected, I broke down and I didn't speak to anyone, including my family or even the co-host of this podcast, for 48 hours. This week, Donald Trump has lost 1,500 refugee children, is a headline you may have read, or you may have seen incredibly disturbing footage of small kids being ripped from the arms of their distressed parents at the US-Mexico border. There have also been images circulating of children sleeping in wire cages that have been going around and people are understandably freaked out outraged and really confused. So what on earth is going on? How are these stories connected? And why is it less black and white than it seems? Trump naturally blamed the Democrats in a tweet, but is it actually his fault? Plus, the on-again, off-again meeting between Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un is off again, to the surprise of absolutely no one. So who won this round of dick swinging? And is it going to be okay? Here to counterbalance my overwhelming feelings is my friend with all the facts, journalist and honorary American, Amelia Lester. Hello. Hello. You're fully cooked. I'm fully cooked and I just got back from a pedicure. And the reason why those are fantastic to get in Japan is because they do the most elaborate nail art on them. On your feet. On your feet. So I currently have whale sharks on my feet because I thought that would be soothing as I enter the final (laughs) gestational period. (laughs) At all that time, you're going to spend staring at your whale sharks while you're pushing that baby out. (laughs) Exactly. It's a reminder to go with the flow. (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about that on the other side, see how that goes, (laughs) going with the flow. Speaking of babies, let's talk about two giant toddlers, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. Little rocket man. Now... A lot's happened since last week. The summit is off. I'm confused. What's going on? If I were to summarise what's happened, it's that Donald Trump's not getting the Nobel Prize, contrary to my bold predictions (laughs) on this podcast. Basically, it seems like he threw a hissy fit and decided that he did not, in fact, want to meet with Kim Jong-un in Singapore. But why? Because he said that they weren't doing what they said that they were going to do, which was destroy their nuclear facilities. But actually, Kim Jong-un, in a funny twist, has been really keen to reschedule the summit and to make sure that it still happens. So he enlisted the South Koreans 
in a bid to reschedule the summit and even produce this evidence that, in fact, he was destroying nuclear facilities. I mean, no one really knows what's going on. But the interesting takeaway is that North Korea very much wants this to happen. Why? I think because they need the sanctions lifted. The US sanctions have been really prohibitive on their economy and there's a lot of people starving there. And I guess my kind of benevolent spin on Kim Jong-un's motivations is that he wants more food for his country and so is maybe keen to get to the negotiating table. But the other thing to keep in mind here is that a discussion between the US and North Korea has eluded lots of people who are much smarter than Donald Trump. And it's eluded them because the sort of conditions that North Korea has put on these conversations have proved to be too burdensome for America. So we don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes, but it seems like Donald Trump yet again is discovering that things are much harder than he thought they were. Remember when he said about healthcare that it turned out that was more complicated than he thought? Nobody knew that healthcare could be so complicated. It turns out that dealing with a rogue state is also more complicated than he thought. I'm confused about whether it's a giant game of chicken, whether it's just like, I'm going to call your bluff. No, I'm going to call your bluff. And whether he is actually just negotiating that there's some dick swinging going on or whether Trump is kind of teasing it out. He knows he's going to meet with him, but he's kind of making it more like a reality show. Will he? Won't he? Will it happen? Won't it happen? To get higher ratings for the summit, because we know that that's how he thinks. Like, I hate to ever ascribe any level of strategy or thought or consideration to what Trump's doing, but hasn't he got further than any other American president or any other world leader in terms of negotiating with North Korea and even getting them to the table? Not really, because they haven't given anything up in the process. They say that they are destroying nuclear facilities, but again, we have no way of independently verifying that because there's no free press or foreign journalists in North Korea. And this is a conversation that Kim Jong-un and Kim Jong-un's father wanted to have for a long time with an American president because it lends them illegitimacy in the eyes of the world. And Donald Trump's just the first president who's gone, okay, sure, let's have a conversation. So they haven't given anything up, but they've gained something. It sort of just speaks to Trump's naivete, I think. And I've changed my mind a little bit uh, on this over the weeks, as regular listeners may be aware, because at first I thought it was great that he was agreeing to talk to them. But now I realize that they've given up absolutely nothing in order to get this concession that shows that they're now being taken seriously on the world stage. But they should be taken seriously on the world stage. They've got nuclear weapons. Yeah, but we don't want them to have nuclear weapons. It's not a good thing for every country that wants a nuclear weapon to have a nuclear weapon. I'm not saying they should have nuclear weapons, but I mean, we have to take them seriously. So the fact that we're negotiating with them, I say we as if it's you and me, the world can't just go, oh, that's just North Korea. They don't get a seat at the table. It's like, well, we have to. Okay, but here's the problem. You saw what happened with Iran. So that was the Iran nuclear deal was the result of many, many years of very careful and deliberate negotiation between the US, Europe and Iran to get Iran to give up its nuclear weapons. There's no one in the White House who's capable of that kind of protracted, careful negotiation and diplomacy. My prediction on all of this is that They're not going to meet. I really don't think they're going to meet. Neither side's going to make the concessions that are necessary to sit down at the table. 
And this drama is just going to keep going on a low simmer. It's just one of the other plot points in Trump season three reality TV show that we're just going to have to continue keeping an eye on and which will continue to keep us all awake at night. We have some very talented people. So I don't like to gossip. (laughs) Who am I kidding? Bloody love to gossip. Melanie, as she will now forever be known to us. Be best. There was a bit of gossip this week that she has already moved to New York. Is that true? And that she's going to be living there now and that she's just bailed. Have you read that? I haven't read that, but it's a fascinating idea. Here's the thing. I can't really imagine that she would be able to do that given the scrutiny and constant exposure that she is under. I mean, do you think that's possible? Well, it was a tweet from someone who said that their Secret Service contacts have had been told to prepare that she was going to be moving back to New York for the foreseeable future and that it was going to happen in the next couple of weeks or it's already happened, one of the two. And I loved the idea of, you know, when she was supposedly in hospital but then she seemed to take a really long time. I really love the idea that she just actually went missing. She tried to do a runner and they couldn't find her. (laughs) I love that idea too. I've been following the hashtag Where's Melania story and loving all the conspiracy theories. I mean, she hasn't been seen in almost three weeks. Run, Melania, run! That's an unusually long absence, even for a first lady who relishes life outside the spotlight. And did you hear that Trump was giving a press conference at the White House and he was asked about where she was and he said, she's doing great. She's looking at us right there. And he pointed to a window and she was nowhere to be seen. On Friday, when reporters asked the president, where's Melania? He pointed to a window at the White House. She's doing great. Just looking at us right there. Reporters looked up, but they couldn't spot Melania. (laughs) It just sounded like a sort of gothic novel of some kind, like her ghost can be seen in the window at the time of a full moon. Ivanka showed her usual impeccable sense of style and timing, hashtag STEM, this week when she posted a picture of her with her younger son, who I swear to God is a doppelganger for Donald Trump Jr. She's given birth to her own brother. It's actually kind of creepy. He's the youngest one. I think he's about two or something. And she was holding him. He was in one of those baby sleeping bags, which you'll totally have to get some of because they're amazing. And he'd obviously just woken up in the morning or woken up from a nap. And she is in a very odd two-piece kind of a crop top with a skirt that's sort of floral showing her midriff, which is weird, but I digress. And it's sort of her kissing him and the caption is mummy time with a love heart. And, of course, she was immediately attacked for being insensitive because it was the same week that this story broke that the U.S. government had somehow lost 1,500 or 1,475, to be precise, children. And there was also some footage that was broadcast of children being separated from their parents forcibly at the U.S.-Mexican border. Now, I want to unpack this story because putting Ivanka's terrible timing to one side, what's going on? Because it seems like everyone's been conflating two different stories, which could actually be dangerous for some of these children involved. Can you unpack it for me a little bit? Yeah. So there are two different stories. And I think it's really important that we only blame Donald Trump for things that he is at fault for, because I do think that there's a tendency, 
particularly in the media, to get a bit hysterical about the fact that he's to blame for everything. And in this case, regarding these 1,475 children, he is not to blame. It's a terrible system, but it is not Donald Trump's fault. So basically what happened is these children arrived at the southwest border of the U.S. by themselves without their parents. They came from Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, They were fleeing gang violence and drug cartels and domestic abuse. So they were refugees. What happens in that case is that a government department called the Department of Health and Human Services oversees refugee resettlement. So they they put these children who have been unaccompanied in family homes across the U.S. And those are often family or, or friends of the family of the children. And then they kind of let them go. That's kind of what happens. There isn't a lot of tracking. A lot of aspects of the American government are surprisingly haphazard. It's a really huge bureaucracy. And so it occurred to them after this had happened, a few months after it happened, that they should follow up and see where the children are and how they're doing. So last October, they start trying to call the families to see how the children are. And a lot of the sponsors don't respond to their telephone calls. That makes a lot of sense because. In some cases, these families are themselves undocumented immigrants and they don't want to get on some kind of government radar or watch list. In some cases, they might not return the call because they have really busy lives and are working three jobs and calling the Department of Health and Human Services back is low on their list of priorities. In other words, these children are not necessarily missing. It's just that a phone call was put out and they didn't hear anything back. And it's not like these children were just kind of, you know, like the RSPCA where people can just come and get a child. It's like mostly they were put with relatives or friends of the family, people that were known to them or known to their parents. So this is different to children being forcibly separated from their parents at the border, right? Correct. And some people think that it's important to track these migrant children more scrupulously. So, for instance, this Republican Senator Rob Portman, who has often diverged from Trump in various policy matters, he wants these children tracked to ensure that, for instance, they're not getting sold into human trafficking because there have been examples of refugee children ending up in essentially slave labor positions in agriculture and worse because there's no system for tracking them. So there's an argument to be made that there should be better tracking of the children once they are resettled in the United States. But it's not a clear argument because a lot of advocates for these children would prefer that the government stay out of it completely. So Josie Duffy Rice, who is a prolific tweeter but is also a lawyer who works on criminal justice issues, had a really great explanatory thread on all of this, which is worth looking up if you're interested. And she summarized this by saying, you're asking immigration authorities in Trump's America to better monitor undocumented children and their families. And she feels that that is clearly a bad idea. So it's one of those situations where it's not necessarily obvious what the right thing to do is. She says it's actually dangerous if we start saying, we've got to find these children, we've got to record that we could actually be putting these children in jeopardy of either being deported or the people who are looking after them might be deported. So in actual fact, they're not missing. They're just unaccounted for, which it's a more complicated thing than you can just read in a headline. It is. And it's confusing because 
There's a second story which is happening at the same time, which is that Jeff Sessions, who is Trump's attorney general and is often compared to a leprechaun in terms of what he looks like, announced earlier this month a zero-tolerance policy whereby if a parent is with a child when they are arrested at the border, that the child must be taken from the parent. So that's a new policy, and it's horrific, and it is a departure from what happened before. But again, it's got nothing to do with these existing 1,500 or so children. So naturally Trump is using this confusion to just flat out lie and he tweeted that people need to tell the Democrats to change the law. Now this was a bizarre tweet because firstly it's got nothing to do with the Democrats. Secondly, the Republicans control both houses of parliament, right? Congress, yeah. Both houses of Congress. So he can just say whatever he wants now. Like he just says things that are nonsensical. I don't know why I'm sounding so surprised and so indignant, but People would read that and go, oh, it's the Democrats' fault. Like, in no possible way can you say any of this is the fault of Democrats or that Democrats who are currently in Congress can do anything about children being forcibly removed from their parents at the border. And that's a policy that Jeff Sessions has bragged about. He said, well, if they don't want to be separated from their children, don't try to smuggle them into the country. Yes. And Trump thrives on that kind of confusion. And that tweet didn't make any sense. And we should be very clear to people that it doesn't make any sense. Because often, when you're tangentially following a news story, like this one, for instance, you might read that tweet and think that somehow you've missed something. You haven't missed anything. The tweet didn't make any sense. You're not going crazy. Just tell me it is going to be okay. On to more lying and more conspiracies. There was a fantastic story in the New York Times, co-bylined by Maggie Haberman, about how Trump uses conspiracy theories, how he's effectively mainstreamed conspiracy theories, which he's always peddled, in order to really deliberately sow confusion and advance his own cause. So she reminded us that he's been peddling conspiracy theories since way before he was president. Like he was saying when he was a candidate that September 11 the US government knew about that before the fact. Of course, there's the famous Bertha conspiracy saying that Obama was born in Kenya. He has supported people saying that vaccinations cause autism. I mean, he loves a conspiracy theory and some of his biggest backers and supporters in the media like Alex Jones's Infowars and Fox News, they all are big supporters of conspiracy theories. And now we have Spygate. Can you just top line me on Spygate? Because this was another thing that I kind of heard and then wasn't quite across. It's a really dumb thing. And it's so dumb that I don't even know how to describe it without sounding dumb. So Trump says that during the presidential election, that intelligence officials planted a spy within his campaign to deliberately sabotage it and to make sure that Hillary would win the election. That's it. Now, you might be saying to yourself, but Hillary Clinton didn't win the election, so these were not very good spies. And you'd be right. But what I really liked about this story is that it connected this one ridiculous piece of nonsense to an overall worldview of Trump's that has proven really effective for him. And that's, again, sowing confusion breeding paranoia, making the public feel like they're missing something. Like I kept hearing Spygate and I assumed it was an actual story. It's not. It Like everything else about Trump, it's just an empty facade of paranoia and conspiracy theory mongering. But 
it's been very effective for him. And they point to the fact that the public approval for Mueller and for the special counsel's investigation more broadly, there has actually been a dip in numbers for it over the last few months that can be directly traced to this constant conspiracy theory that Trump is peddling about how Mueller is in cahoots with the Democrats. He actually said, Trump, in a doorstop or a, a presser, he said, we're calling it Spygate. But a lot of bad things have happened. We now call it Spygate. I think the funnest part of his day is thinking of nicknames and catchy phrases. And my <laughs> God, it works. You know, I was reading something this week about Trump communicates on a fourth grader level and most other politicians communicate on an eighth grader level. I mean, you look at Hillary Clinton, for example, but anyone, Obama, Jeb Bush, normal people, normal adults communicate on an adult level. But because he talks at this really, really young level, two to three word sentences, Spygate, Crooked Hillary, Lincoln Comey, It makes it very, very accessible to people and it means that everybody can understand it. So suddenly his base feel included in a process that they formerly felt really excluded from, which was Washington, and he really plays on that. And so he's turning this whole thing into like a spy novel. He tweeted, look how things have turned around on the criminal deep state. They go after phony collusion with Russia, a made-up scam, and end up getting caught in a major spy scandal, the likes of which this country may never have seen before. And all of these things have, like, capital letters, and it suddenly sounds like the plot of a John le Carre book or movie. What he does by doing this is make it seem really easy for his base to have an enemy. So obviously through the election, his enemy was Hillary. He's tried having the media as the enemy and he still uses that, but he needs multiple enemies. So according to Maggie Haberman's article, he has always resisted using the term deep state because he felt that it made him sound like he was a bit of a crank. But now he's tested it a few times and his base love it. They love the idea that there's a deep state of unelected forces within the government working against the president. They love that idea and the imagery of it as something to rail and unite against. So he now is really talking about this deep state thing, which does the deep state even exist? Well, like all conspiracy theories, it's worth remembering that most people just want to go to work and then get home as soon as possible to have dinner with their family. And the notion that all of the US intelligence bodies are getting together and conspiring, it's just too much work. Conspiracy theories always assume too much work on the part of the actors involved. But the idea of the deep state is obviously very seductive because it does sound like a movie that Matt Damon would be in, which involves, you know, it says Prague on the bottom of the screen and then it says Berlin and it involves a lot of exotic international travel. And the way that he's sort of capitalised on that idea of the deep state is just that it's become a metaphor for any group in American society that doesn't feel heard or understood. And it's a way, as you say, of sort of ganging up against the dark forces in Washington that are way less organised than this would imply. There's a great quote in this piece from Gwenda Blair, who's a a Trump biographer, and she refers to him as the blame shifter in chief because she says that conspiracies Mm. by definition are things that others do to you. You're being duped. Mm. You're being fooled. The world is laughing at us. And she says it goes to this idea that you can't believe anything that you read or see. And he's like sold us this whole way of accepting a narrative that has so many layers of unaccountable, unsubstantiated content that you can't possibly peel it all back and disprove it wrong 
because it's like smoke. It's like it's so thick and toxic that you can't prove it wrong. And so if you can't prove it wrong, it must be right. That's what people think. And I think that's a bit of a thread in our conversation today, which is that the actual news is complicated. And by coining these phrases and by peddling these conspiracy theories, Trump makes it even more complicated. The net result is that people turn off because they think that they don't understand what Spygate is. They don't understand why the 1,500 children are missing. They don't engage with what's happening in the world and they're less well-informed as a result. It's kind of a genius strategy. And it's much easier to believe that all the the Dems are responsible for the whole children thing, then I can go, oh, cool, it's the Democrats, I hate the Democrats, rather than the conversation we had to have or the the tweet stream that Josie Duffy Rice put out explaining it. It's like that takes work to understand. Spygate takes work to explain and understand what's really there. And you're right, most people don't have time to do that work. They want to just believe a really simple thing and they want to see themselves as a victim of unknown sources. Incredible job. Hey, Mia, before we go. Yeah. When I was at the nail salon, I had the misfortune of seeing a headline about Kim Kardashian going to the White House. Can you explain? Because I couldn't click on it. I, because, yeah, I, I understand why you couldn't click on it. It's a little bit hard to stomach. <laughs> and it also feels like maybe a news alert from Saturday Night Live or The Onion or something. It does. Or The Batuta Advocate. <laughs> this is actually true. The meeting of two great minds. Kim Kardashian and Donald Trump. I shouldn't be a bitch. She's probably got a great mind. It's unclear whether she will be sucking a weight loss lollipop when she goes or perhaps recommending them to Donald as a way to lose the weight that the White House physician suggested him to. But that's not why she's going. She's going for reasons even weirder. She's going to first meet with Jared Kushner, who apparently there have been back-channel conversations and negotiations between Jared and Kim. Forget about back-channeling with the Russians. Jared couldn't sort that shit out, but he could get a back-channel going with the Kardashians. And because Jared, apart from fixing the Middle East, which he's almost done, he's also in charge of reforming the uh, justice, not the justice system, the jail system. What's it called? The jail oh, system. So prison reform. Prison reform, thank you. So Kim, for reasons that are completely unclear, has taken up the cause of a 62-year-old great-grandmother who is serving a life sentence without parole for a first-time drug offence. So the druggy granny, who <laughs> I'm unclear about what drugs it was, Kim is trying to go to the White House to get Donald Trump to pardon the drug granny, and that's all I got. I don't know what's up with her lately. I know this is a Trump podcast, not a Kim podcast, but her tweets in defense of her husband this week were also really strange. She's picking very strange battles. It's also really odd that after Kanye's, all the the backlash that Kanye copped for supporting Trump, that she would now go and align herself by, you know, they're meeting at the White House. It's going to be a press call. Mm. Trump's going to love the shit out of this. It's weird that she would choose to now so closely align herself for Trump. The fact that she's going there in defense of a 62-year-old drug grandmother, I don't understand how this is part of her brand. I don't understand any of it. None of it do I understand, except that just when you think this thing can't get weirder, it gets weirder and more sad and there's a little part of me still quietly weeping that Hillary Clinton is not the president with Sheryl Sandberg as her chief of staff. We just have to hope that Ivanka posts an Instagram of Kim over at their place for dinner. Hashtag STEM. (laughs) 
Well, if you are still around next week and not avec bébé, I will see you on the – I'll speak to you again. I just – it's really yes. a week-to-week proposition. How much maternity leave are you going to take just so we can get that clear in case you're not here next week? The people want to know. <laughs> I think I'll take about four weeks. What do you think? Yeah, that's about twice as long as I told my boss that I would need when I had my first baby, <laughs> who ironically is now the producer of this podcast. But uh, it's really hard <laughs> to circle know. circle of life. <laughs> the circle of life. It's really hard to know before how long you'll need. But the good thing about this podcast that we do is that you can do it while breastfeeding, in the nude or not in the nude. You like just it- cut out. Oh, did I? Can you hear me? Amelia? Well, I think maybe she has knocked the cord out of her computer with her very pregnant tummy. Hopefully she's not in labour yet and she will be back next week. Before we go, a shout out to one of our listeners, Gabrielle Schaefer, who pointed out that if you slow down Trump's press conferences, it sounds like an old drunk ranting at you in a bar at 3am. Well, I guess one of the reasons I'm here today is to tell you The whole Russian thing, that's a ruse. That's a ruse. (laughs) That is so great. I love it. If you get a kick out of listening to Amelia and I this week and want to show us some love, rate this show wherever you listen and tell a friend. Please, please tell a friend. Please share this podcast. It helps us out more than you could imagine and it helps us to keep bringing this show to you for free in your ears every week. This podcast was produced by Luca Levine and we will see you in the Facebook group or at home at mamamia.com.au. Bye.